0: So here we are, back again, learning to lean, and we have taken a little side excursion kind of trip to the learning of contentment, which Paul said for us, probably this is, I think, our sixth week on this thing of learning to be content. And as we said last week, we're not going to be leaning into God if we're discontent with him. And so we really, if we want to be a people that are characterized by leaning and trusting, which is basically what leaning is, is trusting God, trusting his nature, trusting his character, trusting the kind intentions of his heart toward us, we won't be doing that if we've got these things that are driving discontentment in our lives. And so we said our... our, Uh, I guess you might call it, our thesis last week was um, that hope is so integral to contentment. Uh, That hopelessness is kind of almost synonymous with discontent. And so we want to go after this thing of having a true, authentic hope. We sang last week, in Christ alone, my hope is found. And that y'all, is the one and only authentic and true hope that there is in this world. There is nothing of this world, there is nothing in this world that can provide us with true, authentic, lasting, unassailable hope besides God himself. Now, some things do bring a measure of hope. We have hopeful news, we have hopeful things unfolding, and that's, those are gifts and blessings from God. But ultimately, our hope, we want to be in God. So I'm I'm coming back again today to this passage that we looked at last week because there was just so much in it. And and I want kind of to think about it this way this week is to leaning in to the unexpected. Most people kind of like, I mean, who, okay, let's do a show of hands. Who likes surprises? Raise your hand who does not like surprises. Okay, that is a vast majority of people who don't like surprises in this room. And if you think about it, I mean there's a I mean, I kind of hate to use the C word, but there's a little element of control that goes with that if you if we're honest is that we kind of like things to be predictable. It's harder to uh, keep our feet under us and to keep our wits about us when things are unexpected. So we want to talk about leaning into the unexpected and and you know expectations is a big topic that we kind of keep going all the time in here. Um, this is sort of a, a a goofy little illustration about the unexpected. When really y'all, we need to be prepared for it. So Remember over Christmas, we had that single-digit weather? Well, okay, I have not pulled my heavy wool. You know, my everybody has one of those black coats with a belt on it. When you go to the restaurant, you don't know which one is yours. You know, one of those. Well, okay, so I, I don't even know where mine is anymore. We've got a little climate change going, they say. I don't know if we do or not, but we haven't needed our heavy coat in this town for a while. So when the weatherman started saying get prepared for single digit weather, I'm just kind of saying, yeah. I don't believe that's going to happen. They always say it's going to snow and it hardly ever does. I'm just I'm just not worried about this. So, and and I will just say I did not prepare. I did not prepare. Didn't didn't give it a second thought, honestly, which is I know some of y'all cautious people are looking at me like What's wrong with this woman? Why am I sitting here listening to her? But anyway, um, I have got this sort of a new joy in my life. I don't put my hope in it, but I do have a new little section that we kind of redid last year in my yard that has a pretty little place for me to plant flowers. And it's right outside the window where I sit and study and pray. And it is just gives me so much joy to look out there and the little birds will come and land on the railing and we have little bird feeders. And it's just, oh, it just makes my heart so happy when there's flowers blooming out there. It's just, it's just a little treat. And so I have invested, you know, some time, some uh, leg work, back work, um, ugly fingernail work, and some change at the leaf and petal in this garden, Okay. <laughs> And so, uh, why I did not take this investment and think about it and prepare for this cold weather? Well, why didn't I? I don't know. I just thought it would never happen to me. You know, it was like I i, I just I couldn't hear that because it was unpleasant, I guess. I don't know. and I think I, at that as I said, it's kind of a silly little example of how I think we do. About suffering, about trials, about hardship, about tribulation, about the things that are inevitable in this world. Why do they take us by surprise? Because Jesus says, as he's a preparing, this is uh, in the chapter of one of the three chapters where he's preparing his disciples for what to expect when he leaves them and goes to heaven and sends his holy spirit he says in john sixteen thirty three, and i've given it to you here in the amplified he says i have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace in the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering but be courageous confident undaunted filled with joy I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished, my victory abiding. That's one to meditate on this week, I think. But do you hear what he said? He's saying, okay, just get ready. Don't be surprised. This is not unexpected. Expect it. You will have suffering in the world. You will have tribulation in the world. Well, that's kind of the same message that Paul is writing to us believers, to his his friends i mean i don't think he knew them yet but um the christians in rome they were experiencing some deep suffering and so he writes them in romans chapter 5 that we looked at last week and i have done a switcho and just i'm going to re-look at the last three verses in that passage versus uh, romans 5 th- verses 3 through 5 and again i'm going to use the amplify because i think it's really helpful So let's review this uh, passage that Paul wrote to us. It says, Let us also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. And endurance or fortitude develops maturity of character, and that's approved faith and tried integrity. And character of this sort produces the habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us. For God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So y'all, that's good news and bad news, isn't it? Yet the good news is that we can have joy we don't have to be disappointed when hard things come. Uh, and that's one of the triggers that we've said or one of the obstacles to contentment is disappointment. It's huge. And so we want to stand on reality. We want to stand on the truth. Paul writes in Ephesians, this is Ephesians six fourteen. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth. That Just think about a soldier getting prepared for battle because it really, we are sort of in a fight in this world um, as believers. We're in a fight for our faith. We're in, the fi- in a fight for hope. And we have an enemy. And, um, and, you know, I have to say, basically, you know, just to take my little silly analogy, Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, bad weather's coming, and it's going to be harder than you think, but I want you to be prepared. I don't want it to catch you. In an unexpected state, so let's be prepared and let's get our mindset on the truth of um, of this. And so, I want to talk to you about the original language that Paul is using here. Both Jesus and Paul use the word philipsis in the Greek, and what that—that's the word that's translated tribulation, and um, and all the synonyms that these passages give you. And um, so, this word. What it, 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 kind of the gist of the word is the word pressure. And it's according to um, Strong's, which is what tells us the meaning of these words, it's pressure that is weighty, squeezing, or crushing. And so think about that. I mean, I'm just trying to think of like maybe turn a vise that holds something together so that like if you glue something and it needs to stick really tight together or think about, um, I mean, I guess putting pressure on the toothpaste and squeezing it really hard to get that last little bit out or your face cream that you spent too much money on. Man, I, I squeezed that one hard just to get the last drop out of it. Well, that is how tribulation is in our lives. It squeezes us. It, it puts very intense pressure on us. And what happens when that happens? Guess what happens? What's on the inside of us comes to the outside. Okay, that's good. In one way, in this, well, it's good. This is good. I mean, what Paul is telling us is this is good. This is good work because if it's something unhealthy, that pressure will bring it to the surface. If it's something holy, like the Holy Spirit and His fruits, this is our opportunity to let that part of us be squeezed out by the pressure. But we've got to be prepared for it. We've got to be not surprised. We've got to be in a cooperative spirit instead of being so um, angry with God or disappointed in that he's allowed this to come. We've got to get on the page of what Paul's saying is, okay, if I've got to go through this, the us Jesus is saying, we're going to go through it. So we're going through it. How are we going to go through it? Are we gonna go through it and get the good stuff at the end and let the good stuff come out? Or are we just gonna do like the Israelites in the wilderness and grumble and complain and kind of schlep along and kind of not get a whole lot out of it? I personally want to be on if I've got to go through it, I want the benefits. Hope you agree with me on that. So uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, this is they think his first letter, First Thessalonians five, four, and I've given you verses actually four and eight from J.B. Phillips. He says, you, my, because you, my brothers, are not living in the darkness, the day cannot take you completely by surprise. We men of the daylight should be alert with faith and love as our breastplate and the hope of our salvation as our helmet. So hear that. We can have hope in our trials. When the pressure is turned up, we can have hope. And um, so Paul talks about a time when he was under intense pressure. Mm-hmm. And listen to what he says. Listen to the productive part of this. What is it produce in his life? I want you to listen carefully to Second Corinthians 1, 8, and 9. It says, we were crushed. So there that is again, that pressure. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who can raise the dead. So that, my friend, is leaning that is the fruit that we can get when the pressure is on is that we have the choice to lean on who god is his character his promise his word his faithfulness it's impossible for him to lie he is who he says he is he will do what he said he would do and we can lean into that when trouble comes and trials come and pressure comes So I want to do a little self-examination here so we can get in touch with how this applies to us personally. So let's take about 60 seconds um, to just do a a little prayer, listening prayer. I'm going to turn these questions that you see on your paper into a prayer, and if you want to jot some thoughts down, you can do that so you can come back to them later. So, um, Lord, we just want to think about the hardships or tribulations that we're experiencing. So, Father, which top two or three things would you bring to mind that are painful in our lives or that are longstanding and that are um, causing a lot of pressure? I just bring those to mind as we wait before you. father we just um want to ask you now and and ask ourselves show us have we been surprised by the fact that these troubles have come into our lives and has that had an impact on our hope and our contentment or just show us how it's impacted us on the inside Thank you, Father, for what you're teaching us and for showing us that. Okay, um, I want to go on and talk about the benefits. So we kind of established, hopefully, that trials, trouble, pressure, hardships, painful situations, and suffering will come. Let's don't be surprised by that. Let's be prepared, and let's instead of letting them squeeze the life out of us, let's squeeze the life out of them and get the good stuff out of it. Okay. So that's what Jesus did. Jesus provided us a model for that. Paul just showed us he learned to lean and rely on God through it. This is what Jesus did. It says in Hebrews 12, one new living, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. So God had a good purpose for the pain that Jesus endured, and he was joyful knowing that that was coming. Uh, in the Old Testament, it speaks of this as well, Isaiah 53, 11, and this is the message translation says, Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones, as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch. Because he embraced the company of the lowest, he took on his own shoulders the sin of many. So Jesus is speaking, you know, from the Old Testament. So he's looking to the future and saying, this is what Jesus is going to do. He is going to bear this terrible, terrible burden. But he's glad to do it. He's going to be satisfied with what he did. He's going to be content to do it because he knows what's going to happen is he's going to bring many sons to glory. He's going to bring a whole family to faith and into the uh, kingdom of God and into the family of God through what he suffered. And so, of course, we don't have quite that kind of fruit, although a watching world— you know may find some measure of inspiration, maybe some hunger and thirst about the things of God by watching us, and we may never know it uh, so but we 'll never do like Jesus, but we can have that same mind that was in Jesus, and um, instead of going through them and coming out the other side discontent and disappointed uh, we can we can really look to God to do these things that He said he would do and bring glory into our lives and that God has, from the get-go, Old Testament and New Testament, I've given you like five references there if you want to just see the consistency. This is not just a Romans 5 thing. This is something that God talks about over and over and over and over again in Scripture. I've got a Job reference for you. Think about the life of Joseph. Think about the life of David. Think about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. There was hardship that each one of them endured that was productive, and it brought about God's good purposes and um, and glory to God. And another hope verse that I've really found to be very inspiring is just this quick and easy verse in Colossians 127 written by our friend Paul. It says, Christ in you, it's the Jesus in you, the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Christ in you is your hope of glory. So That's what we want squeezed out. That's what we want developed, and that's what we want to have Christ-like character reproduced in us because of these pressures that we're going to have um, or that we are currently having. And so um, I was reading several commentaries on this passage, and David Guzik is one that I go to a lot, and he called this um, list of benefits that we're about to discuss the Golden chain of Christian growth. So let's talk about those virtues that are benefits that we can accrue when we go through hard times. And th- These are promises, y'all. We can, if, if God says in his word that this is something that can be ours in tribulation and suffering, then we can count on it as we cooperate <coughs> with him and, and seek him. So perseverance, and Strong's defines that as a spirit-given ability to endure hardship without trying to avoid it, the determination to honor God and to extract all the benefits that can be had from suffering. So that's the part I really want to underscore. Let's just try to just extract all the benefits out of this if we've got to go through it. Um, And Hebrews, I've always liked this verse because I need reminding of it often. Hebrews 10.36 and the Amplified says, you have need of patient endurance to bear up under difficult circumstances without compromising so that when you have carried out the will of God, you may receive and enjoy to the full what is promised. So we've got some prizes here from these unexpected uh, events. We've got some unexpected benefits. You can come out the other end with a greater endurance um, and y'all, that is so attractive. And it's so helpful. I mean, like, if we just start wanting to give up and be hopeless on the first week or at the end of the first month in a long standing trial, that just means misery for the rest of it until it's over. But perseverance allows you to have a hopeful outlook and to stay connected with God during. The duration, no matter how long that might be, so we want that perseverance because it serves us. We're better when we know how to persevere. Okay, so what about character? <laughs> the this I l- love this picture. Uh, I think we mentioned um, Job last week about how um, God. He said to God, "You know the way I take." And then when I come forth, I shall be as gold. That's what the word character kind of means. It says here that it's describing metal put into a flame to prove it genuine or authentic. So that's, that's what happens is all the, you know, when that fire comes, it puts pressure on the impurities and drives them to the top. They can be skimmed off, and then what's left is more pure, and we want that pure Christ like character. We want I, I want to get rid of my junk. I want to get rid of my dross and the stuff that's worthless in my life. And I want to be I want to have that shining character that looks more and more like Jesus over time. And so um you know, one thing I wanted to clarify is everything that comes to us passes through God's sovereign hand. He Does get to say if we're going to experience something and how long it lasts. But we are in Christ and what he's teaching us and what he's allowing to come into our lives is not punishment. Jesus, we just read in Isaiah, he has taken the punishment for our sins. Now, can he use it to make us more pure in terms of our actual lifestyle where we get to shed some of our immature and fleshly ways, absolutely. But this is not punishment. And I think a lot of people feel like this wouldn't be happening to me if I didn't mess up. And God is using these painful things that happen in the world for his glory and for our benefit. So let's don't forget that and get it confused with uh, punishment because Jesus bore that for us. Um, it says in 1 Corinthians four fifteen, Paul writes, and I'm giving it to you in the message, it says, I'm writing as a father to you, my children. Paul viewed his disciples as children, just like our father in heaven views us as cho- his children. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. Y'all... Yeah, I've said this to mothers so many times. I'll have somebody say, can, hey, can you sit down with me and talk to me about my strong-willed child?" Because I've got one, woo, big time. And I'll say, you know what? Maturity is a beautiful thing. It really is. It it is a um, as you're, as you watch your children and grandchildren develop, and you see that maturity. Uh, and that well-formed character coming forth in them, it just does wonders. All that stuff that you kind of had to deal with when they were, you know, in that kind of awkward phase (laughs) and irritating phase starts looking better and better on them. And that's just a little bitty picture of the way God wants to work in our lives. Okay, let's hit hope one more time because hope, it says... Um, and Strong's is more than wishful thinking, but it is a confident expectation of goodness, both now and in the future. It never disappoints us because it's based on what? On us getting it right? On us whipping our attitudes into shape? No, it's based on God's faithfulness. That is where our hope is, is that God is faithful he's faithful to you he's committed to you he's made a covenant of love with you that he is going to keep and we can't do anything to mess that up he's faithful to his word if he's made a promise in his word it is good as gold he will keep his promise he will keep his word and that's why we can have hope um we talked about this verse in small group last time, so I included it under the hope section here. Hebrews six eighteen and nineteen says, "We who have fled to him for refuge, you might say, we who are leaning on God, to paraphrase that, if I might, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy ankle for our, anchor, excuse me, anchor for our souls." It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So once again, to remind you, what are sources of hope from last week? We looked at two things. Uh, One is God's work in our lives, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and the continuing work and commitment to our sanctification and his deliverance of us from the enemy, um, as well as his presence. Is that his nearness gives us hope. As we go into his presence and we say to him, Father, I am dying here. I don't know if I'm going to make it. This is so painful. This is so hard. And we draw near to God. It says in James 4, 8 that he will draw near to us and that that will produce hope and we will be anchored and held as we lean into that. So we, we I just think about having a, a nature of hopefulness is it's that ability that despite the pain, it's like you are standing, I heard someone say this one time and it stuck with me, it's like getting up off the sofa where you want to just sit there and feel sorry for yourself and going to the window and looking out and think, I know God is coming to do a work and I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wait for him and I'm going to watch him do it. That is what hope looks like. And so we, we can cultivate that in God's presence and as we meditate on the works he has done and that he's going to do. And then who doesn't need more love in their life? The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I personally believe that that's one of the things that God wants to squeeze out. I, I'm not so convinced that the body of Christ knows how deeply God loves us. I think a lot of people walk around knowing that the Bible says God is love, knowing the song Jesus loves me, but without maybe really believing that at a very deep level. And I want each person in this room to know that by experience, to know that way down deep. And we can know that. We can know that in every day of our lives, even when the pressure's on, even in tribulation, we can see the goodness of God in the land of the living as he promises in Psalm 27, day by day by day by day. That's the way he dispenses it. One day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about how long it's going to last. But today's the day of the, that, um, that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I can rejoice in his love for me. And so uh, Strong says this word used for love, in this passage, um, is a lavish outpouring of God's love that overflows in such abundance that it renews our hearts with the truth of the Lord's presence and favor. So the things we talked about last week, and I like this quote from the um, Bible Knowledge Commentary. It says, your hope, rooted in the genuineness of your proven faith, will not disappoint you, And you can know this because the Holy Spirit has come into your life and has begun to pour the love of God experientially into your heart. This is not mainly an argument. This is mainly a personal experience of God's love flooding the heart with an immediate sense of God's reality and love. So did you hear that? It's not an argument. It's not a fact. It's the truth. And you don't want to just say, Jesus loves me this, I know. You want to say, Jesus loves me, and I know it. I know he does. I know he's not going to leave me. He's not going to let me down. And I've lived long enough now that I, I do know it. I've lived enough of life. I've gone through my little load of sufferings enough to know he was with me every step of the way. And he brought some good stuff out of it. And I can, I mean, just look looking at my own two children's lives, I can see... The times that I worried the hardest and I wanted them out of the pressure the most are the times that he did the biggest work in their lives. And I know that's such a temptation for our mother hearts, for those of us who are moms. Um, Paul said, and he went through some stuff, beaten with rods, shipwrecked, sleepless nights. Who can identify with that? Call me at 3 a.m. I'll be up. Um... He went through some prison, you know. He 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 went through a lot of really really big stuff. Um, but he wrote in Romans eight thirty eight, I am convinced that nothing, not any exclusions there, nothing. I am convinced that nothing, and he. if you look at that, law, the context of this, it gives a very long list of things that he says can't separate us from the love of God. But I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. There's one you can take to the bank. That's a promise. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. So we want to um, be different than the world. We want to, you know, the world in our flesh wants to avoid suffering, no matter what. <clears throat> Hardship, If it's hard, we don't want to do. It. I wish I could tell you some funny stories. My daughter Mira Lee is, a, is now a full-time faculty at the University of Alabama, and she is teaching exclusively freshman writing. And so she had last semester. The, I mean, fresh off the, you know, orientation freshman, and she is blown away by, I mean, really, kind of their inability to endure, their lack of perseverance. Frankly, you know, I don't. I hope she didn't mind me saying this, but some character building could be used with most of these kids. There's a few good eggs in there, but they they are not showing a lot of tolerance for, oh, I am now in college and this is harder. They're just, you know, that's kind of the world. Um, And you see that in our culture, you see it in the media, you see it on the news, people don't want to suffer. And our flesh doesn't want to suffer. And I mean, my authentic Spirit-filled self doesn't want to suffer either, but I also want to be in touch with what Jesus said and what Paul said, is that it's going to happen, and that when it does, I want the, I want the um, squeezing and the pressure to produce something good and to get rid of some stuff that I don't need anymore, some baggage. Well, I'm going to give yet another testimony on healing prayer today because this is fresh, and it's exactly what I just talked to you about. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is not a massive tribulation that I've been through, but I will say that it's an example of God using pressure to squeeze something out, okay? So I have had—it this is it is longstanding, though. So I would say that generally my husband and I have a very amicable relationship. Bob is mostly responsible for that because he is a very easygoing guy. Um, and very tolerant of my ups and downs and stuff. And um, yet there's this one thing he does that I can't believe it took me this many years for the Lord to actually do a work on this little thing. But it's, it's been completely consistent. Every time he does it, I overreact. I It's like a 1 to a 1.5, probably a 1.1 on a scale of 1 to 10 kind of infraction on his part. And every time he does it, I'm a 12. I mean, mean, I'm not kidding either. This is not just a 5, 6, 7 kind of mad. This is a beyond mad. I mean, livid rage. If I had a knife, I would stab him kind of. I mean, like, (laughs) I'm serious. I mean, like, talking about going off. I go off, and this is this is, how, this is how huge of an overreaction is here's the little thing I'm trying to trying to keep this uh timely, but it's um it's kind of like if he if he he says something to me that in any way would call my motives into question he didn't do it very often, but like he'll make a little snorky comment, and I think most of the time he thinks it's funny and I don't. I don't think it's funny at all. And and it is really ramped up. I mean, I can go up to about a 13 or 14 if one of the children is sitting at the dinner table and he makes one of those little snarky comments. Man, I can remember one time that I literally picked up the dinner plate and slammed it down on the table. I mean, I was that mad. I'm a teacher telling on herself today. But wh- why have I lived life this long and been willing to just tolerate that level of anger. And I'm saying, I mean, I can count on both my fingers how many times this has happened in all the years I've been married. It's not a frequent thing, but the reaction is disturbing about how mad I get. I mean, seriously. <laughs> and when it happens, it hurts Bob's feelings so bad, and it hurts my feelings because we're one, per, you know, we're one flesh, the Lord says. And, you know, we're so close, and so I feel completely disconnected from him. And so it's just that awful feeling of, and I can't get it back for a while. You know, it's like I I just feel, I feel so violated by him. I feel so betrayed by him that it's angry. Well, okay, remember we talked about getting down to that root. What's Mm. really under that anger? And I mean, I just, I would always just, what I've done in the past is just go to okay, Lord, I'm just going to forgive him. It wasn't that big of a deal. And please forgive me for being angry. And then I'd kind of get over myself and I'd say, I'm sorry I got so mad. And he'd say, I'm sorry I said that. And we just, I mean, it kind of wasn't a big deal. But so this happened on Saturday night. Actually, it happened twice this week. So out of those 10 times in 39 years, it happened twice. Two of those 10 were this week. And so I kind of thought, I mean, I kind of thought, we're talking about healing prayer. We're talking about getting some stuff up and out. We're talking about dealing with our issues. Hmm. I think God may be up to something here. But, I mean, I gave it about that much thought. And so, But then on Saturday when I was just like, my heart was broken. I was so upset with him, and I couldn't get it back. So I woke up Sunday, and I was so sad. And I thought, I need to do my own homework. So I got out my paper from last week, and started doing my discussion questions that I did at the end of the paper, and I got to the part that said, do you think that it's possible that some of your discontentment could be placed, could be based on a false hope? And I went, yep, I sure do. Yes, Lord, definitely. And then I look at the clock, and it's time to go to church, and I said, okay, got it. Let I, I will come back to this after church so i go to church sunday i'm standing there and bob's standing beside me and i'm feeling just this wall I've, and I, somebody even that knows me really well said are you okay and i said Mm-mm, i'm not <laughs> but i'm going to be better i am i am going to be better i'm going to sit down with the lord this afternoon so i'm standing there in church singing a song that had absolutely nothing to do with anger connection inner healing prayer I mean, it was it was a great song. It just wasn't on my topic. I'm standing there singing, and all of a sudden this word runs in front of my face, trigger. And I go, what have I been doing for the last 39 years? Oh, my gosh, I'm supposed to know this stuff. I've studied this. I've taken courses in it. I have walked people through this, you know, many, many, many times. This is a stinking trigger. And it just its like, I I guess God wasn't ready to do the work. Why did he pick this weekend? So anyway, I just went, yes, Lord. And I mean, I was immediately better just knowing that. I thought, oh, this is on me. This is in me. This is something that God wants to set me free from. Okay, yes, Lord. And so I had the information that it was a false hope. I had the information it was a trigger. And we rode home in the car, and I said, Bob, I need to tell you something. He said, what? And I said, I'm so sorry about my overreaction, and I told him a little bit about the podcast I'd listened to, and I said, I realize it's a trigger. I said, I get triggered. I have a huge overreaction when you do that, and it's because of something inside of me. I don't know what that is yet, but I promise you I'm going to do the work with the Lord to let him reveal what that is, and you all this is how sweet he is. He goes, I don't ever want to do anything to make you have a trigger <laughs> and I said baby you didn't you didn't make me have a trigger something else did and I'm going to find out what that is and and I'll let you know and he said okay well I'm so sorry you know he was he was very sweet so um I sat down with the Lord yesterday and I mean woo, you should see my paper I've got pages but um here's what happened I Sat down. I took my little four step. You know, we got that. What's the emotion you're feeling? Go a little bit deeper and find out the core emotion, and then ask for a memory or a picture from the Lord, or just stay in that emotion until the Lord, you know, brings something to mind. Like, what message are you believing right now? And then asking the Lord what's the truth. So that's the little model we've been using. It's a very simple. Um, prayer model that's been so fruitful in my life. If you haven't done it, I would highly recommend it. So, I sat down with my little piece of paper and um, I wrote down I am enraged. I have, you know, contained violent (laughs) anger. (laughs) I have not gotten the knife out yet. (laughs) But, it, you know, I can see how people, if they're feeling that level of anger, I can see how somebody might be violent. It was scary. So, And it was like, what else, what else, what else, what else? I mean, what is below that? What is below that? What is below that? And the thing that came forth was fear. And I thought, okay, okay, fear, great. And so then I sat quietly before the Lord and I said, Lord, thank you for showing me that my deepest emotion here is fear. Would you please help me get in touch with what's driving that fear? And so at first I had a little picture of, like, a crate. You know how, like, if I don't have a dog, but if, you, if I was going to take my dog on an airplane and stow it underneath, you have that little crate? Yeah, I, I can't imagine having to ride in one of those in the airplane cargo unit, you know, um, in an unfamiliar place. And I thought, hey, that looks awful. I'd hate to be in there. And it was like the word trapped came to mind. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm just jotting these little notes down. And so I said, "Well, okay, Lord. I mean, I'm kind of thinking that there's a some kind of confinement or trap, something. I don't know what that is. Do you want to? What else do you want me to see here?" And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. There were three memories from my childhood where my dad got extraordinarily angry with me. Now he was he was my rock. I knew he loved me. I knew, I knew, I knew that he loved and adored me, and I believed it with every inch and every fiber of my being. And because I knew his deep love for me, I can really connect with the love of God because of his great love for me. But on three different occasions, I was able to remember he got just inappropriately angry with me. He didn't physically hurt me or anything like that, but I felt that same feeling that I felt with Bob just disconnection it was like a tear apart and our hearts weren't at one anymore and so the Lord brought that to mind and I thought oh okay and so I remember the verse that came to my mind was the sins of the father are visited on the children to the third and the fourth generation I went oh this is a generational sin oh father I repent Father, I just pray that you would just cleanse by the blood of Jesus my entire bloodline. I think my, his father was an angry man. My dad wasn't what you'd call an angry man. But, Father, please cleanse my entire family line. I pray that you would stop it right here. I pray that this would not go any farther in the generations in front of me. And um, so I did that. And then it reminded me of that verse, as I said. I thought that verse, I mean, the passage that popped to mind was Deuteronomy 7, 6. I thought, oh, I'm going to go look at that verse. Well, I had it wrong. The teacher got it wrong, y'all. But <clears throat> the Lord had it right. So I'm going to read you the verse that he had me to um, to read. It says, starting Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, it says, The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you because you were more numerous, for you were... The fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that He swore. He brought you out with a mighty hand and He redeemed you. And then all of a sudden I knew what it was. I said, Oh Lord, well, first of all, talking about a great way to get in touch with the love of God and your belongingness and your hope and your safety Mm -hmm. and all the things that we need, those core needs. I mean, that passage really speaks to every one of those, but it used the word, the Lord redeemed you. And what I realized is just like my dad had done to me, I told this last semester that I believe my dad looked to me to redeem his life. And he basically said that at the end of his life, if it weren't for you or because of you, my life has mattered. And I'm thinking, when he said that to me, I was old enough to know better and thought, hmm, that's kind of off, talking about a false hope. And so I knew that my dad's had put too much hope in me and that it, just like my dad had done, not to the degree, thankfully, but I would put a false hope in my husband and our marriage relationship. I've done the same thing to my children. I've had a false hope in how they are. And as I was standing there in church, the Lord kind of lit it up for me. That I'd done that to my church. If I am going to put my hope in a man, a child, an institution made of, you know, these are human beings that are fallible and that make mistakes, they'll never, ever, ever sustain my hope. They'll ne- never be able to redeem my life. And so I was able to go, oh, Lord, oh, my goodness, please forgive me doing that I had a false expectation I had a false hope in my people and so I mean I just it was so cleansing to see that because I really was able to to see that over the years when Jackson did a bad misbehavior or when that elder said something to me that hurt my feelings or when that so and so did something I overreacted then too So I knew that God was speaking truth to me. And that it made me so mad at Satan. I thought, Lord, I hate Satan's guts because he has hoodwinked me into putting my hope into something that didn't satisfy. No wonder I've been discontent at times in my marriage. No wonder I've been discontent with how my kids are doing. No wonder I've been discontent at times with my church. So God took the pressure, pardon me, and he squeezed that wrong thinking out of me, and he did a healing work in my soul. I feel so free. I could, I mean, I kind of could float. Honestly, I just mm-hmm. feel so freed up, and I feel so free to where my husband. It's like, go ahead and mess up. Just mess on up. It's fine. I, I don't need you to be perfect. I don't need you, you know. I don't need you to be anything other than who you are. And the same for my kids. Y'all, think about the pressure that puts on our children when we do that to them. I don't want to do that to my kids. I know what that feels like because my dad did it to me, and I don't want to do that to my family. So anyway, that's, that is my testimony. I hope some of that will be fruitful as you kind of see how God takes things that are hard and he uses them to bring forth things that are good. And <clears throat> I want to close with this passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, another Paul. Passage. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Amen, Lord. Thank you. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, develops with, pardon me, well-formed maturity in you. So thank you, Paul, and thank you, Lord, for that. And we're, let's close in prayer and write our one thing. Father, um, thank you that you're a good, good father. Thank you that you want the best for us and that you are so mighty and so powerful that you can take what Satan means for evil and turn it to good. That you've promised also in the book of Romans that you will work all these things that we're going through for good in our lives, Lord. That you want to transform us into the image of Jesus that you don't want us to have to live like this, that you're not content for us to live with all these lies we've believed and these false hopes that we've hung our um, well-being on, Lord, that you want us to have authentic, true hope because that is solid, that is steady, that is sure, that is safe, that is love, and that is belonging, Lord, and those are the things that our soul is crying out for. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand this at a deep, deep level. And that, Lord, when we feel the pressure and when it gets painful, that we won't doubt your character, that we won't doubt your forgiveness, that we won't doubt the work that you've already done. But that, Lord, we would look to you and say, Okay, Lord, if the pressure's on, I want some good stuff out of it. And that we would trust you for that. And that we would not separate from you over it, but we would come near to you, draw near to you, Lord and let you do your good work in us. So, Father, help us. Help us to um, hope in you, Lord, and help us to remember Holy Spirit. And we just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, and I pray that you give us eyes to see some of the benefits that you're bringing forth just right now in our midst as we um, think about what our tribulations are. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.